The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, Call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. It's going to be the sweetest show today. It's just going to be awesome. It's a Friday show. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. You can email me your questions, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. jesse at jessekellyshow.com. They do not have to be political, or you can call in. We'll take some phone calls today, 877 
877-4373. There are already some great, some great questions and some ridiculous questions because you're ridiculous. I have no idea why we why we attract those people, Chris. But you guys are ridiculous. Like how many five year olds could you fight before you lost? <laughs> you guys are idiots. All right, but I will discuss it, obviously, because that's actually a good question. But first, we are going to Africa. Now, Africa I find to be an extremely fascinating place. It's absolutely huge, and people do not understand how big geographically Africa is. Africa, like all of North America, would fit in Africa with room to spare. I'm talking U.S. and Canada type thing. With room to spare. It's enormous. And I'm not going to do that thing where people say, we don't talk about it enough because I know why we don't talk about Africa enough. It's not difficult to figure out. We don't talk about Africa enough. For the simple reason of its history is mostly an oral history. It's obviously a tribal nation. The history of it is tribal until the colonists got there in the 1500s. And oral histories make things more difficult. Even today. I will tell you, full disclosure, we're just going to talk briefly. Not going to do a long history segment today, but today we're going to talk about Shaka of the Zulu, known as Shaka Zulu. People call him Shaka Zulu. His last name was not Zulu. It's Shaka of the Zulu. He's the chief of the Zulu tribe, but whatever. We're going to talk about Shaka Zulu briefly today, but even that, because things aren't written down, weren't written down, I have no idea what's real and what's not. Some of these stories are sweet, and I'm going to tell you today, but some of them are obviously crap. Just as a brief spoiler, he gets into power, institutes military reforms, and there is this story, and this is told by Zulu historians to this day. There's this story about how he banned his army from wearing sandals because he wanted to harden the feet of his men And he used to make them run and march 50 miles a day. Well, that's not true. And this is taught as if it's fact. People, the human body doesn't march 50 miles a day. I was in the United States Marine Corps. We would have to do these forced marches, hikes, humps. We called them humps, whatever you want to call them. Put all your gear on. Socks, combat boots, change your socks, and you go marching. And I'm here to tell you, we've done some very long ones, but even a, let's call it 10 miles. Now, that's not short. That's not long, but I've been on a lot longer ones than that. Let's call it 10 miles. At the end of one forced march, 10 miles in a day, you will undoubtedly be limping that night and probably the next day. Your body is broken down. The human body does not march 
50 miles a day, and the human body wasn't somehow more advanced or tougher back then when Jacques was 50 miles a day is ridiculous. It's stupid. It's not even believable. But it's taught as history. And that is why in this story and so many others, people don't talk enough about Africa, or they don't talk as much about Africa, I should say, because it's such an oral history, and the stories are sweet. Like, some of these stories today are awesome. This dude sounds like a beast. But I don't know. You know, I don't know. We know enough to know this dude was a a stud of a leader, a huge conqueror, eh, probably a little violent, bit violent, but you know my thing when it comes to historical people. I tend to look past that quite a bit if they have a cool story. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I would like to live under someone like that. But if they have a cool story, eh, we can ignore that whole thing with the jackals. Oh, I'll get to that in a moment. It's awesome. <laughs> so there's no writing. But what we're talking about here is we're talking about South Africa. Late 1700s, early 1800s. So we're not talking ancient history here. But this is the situation in Africa when it comes to colonies at this time, you know, and before this time and after this time. How it worked was simply this. Europeans did not simply show up, first boat onto the shore, with a massive army and some muskets, and go start taking over. No. They would colonize the same way everybody really colonized. They would show up first and, oh, it's just a ship or two. You know what? Let's just talk to these people. Oh, they seem nice. So you guys have any any gold or anything around here? And they'd open up trading posts. Trading posts were always the dipping the toe in the water of the colonies. Look, I'm not, look, I'm not here to take over anything. With your permission, I'm going to build a little house for me and the fam, little building right beside it. You bring your cattle in, what other goods you have in, and we will trade you. And on the subject of cattle, these tribes in this area, are cattle-centric, to put it mildly. They would actually set up their villages. Now, this is not universal because there's a million of these villages, but in general, they would set up their villages in circles, and the cattle would be at the center of it. Milk, other things, they lived on these cattle. It was their money. They didn't have currency. It was how they did business. Oh, you want to marry my daughter? It's going to cost you this many cattle. Oh, man, you're poor. You got one cow. He looks skinny. Oh, wow, you're rich. You got 100. They look nice and fat and well-fed. That's their currency. Shaka Zulu is born, and he is an illegitimate child. And here's the story. His father was not the king. They They always screw this up whenever you read something. His father was not the king of their tribe yet. He was, however, a member of the royal family, and Shaka 
was in the line of succession, as in this dude was going to be king when he was born. But his father, and you have to wonder, you have to wonder if this didn't play a part in Shaka's, some of his reforms later on, but his father, as a member of the royal family, did the same thing rich young men of royalty have done for a long time, are still doing, and will always do. What do rich young men do? Rich young men tend to bounce around a little bit with the ladies. In a time before the old, uh, before the old stopgap measures, that results in some things. Hang on. You know how much your life changes when you get a good night's sleep every single night. That's really the key, too, because so many people, this is what they do. And I know it's what they do because it's what I did. I've done it. You don't sleep one night. Then you don't sleep the next night. Then you don't sleep the next night. Finally, you break down. Third night, you do what? You, you, you chug some cold medicine or you take a sleeping pill and you knock out 14 hours. And you wake up and you feel markedly better than you did before because you felt in the dumps before. And you convince yourself that that's enough. Well, I mean, I feel I feel better than I did. That's enough. People, sleep needs to happen every single night. Ebb sleep gives you good sleep every single night. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse, 25 bucks off. Jesse Kelly returns next. Now, the cow, the illegitimate child thing, essentially Shaka's royalty father has him illegitimately with a woman from another tribe, a powerful tribe, and Shaka gets banished from his own people, his own village rejected, no more dad, no more Zulu tribe, and he is sent off to live with this other tribe. I'm not going to go into all the names because you'll forget them and I can't pronounce them and there's just no, there's just nothing to be gained from that. It should be noted the Zulu tribe, the tribe Shaka left, were pretty much farmers, uh, pastoral people. And it's easy for you and I to make this mistake. I've made it a million times in my life. You make it. And it's a mistake that generally comes from pop culture. And it comes from things that interest us. It's not our fault. It's just something we have to be cautious about. 
We like to imagine that any tribal peoples, any of the less technologically developed tribal peoples, whether they be, you know, American Indians, African tribes, whatever the case may be, Gauls during Caesar's time, whatever the case may be, we like to imagine they're all warlike. That's just what they did, right? They just ran around just beating each other, other over the face with clubs and stuff and chanting weird things. Or, no. Some of them, yes, absolutely. Some of them had very much a warlike culture. Some of them had an extremely peaceful pastoral culture. And it's so funny how historians, historians, people who are just supposed to try to prevent fa- present facts, try to twist these things up all the time to suit whatever narrative they're doing. I will tell you, and you've heard me complain about this before, and I can't stand this. In, in doing some reading on Shaka Zulu, and I listened to a couple things on him, it's nauseating, nauseating the historians, not, not even entertainers, historians, who bend over backwards to excuse any barbaric thing he ever did. And make sure you throw in, I mean, they never did this until the European colonists got there. And Just talk about history, man. It's fine. You don't have to excuse anything anybody in Africa ever did and blame everything that went wrong in history on white European colonists. White European colonists did plenty of awful evil stuff and plenty of good stuff. And guess what? Before they ever stepped onto the shores of Africa, they did plenty of awful evil stuff and plenty of good stuff. It's not about this constant white guilt state. Just tell me history, man. I just want to learn about Shaka Zulu. I don't need you to apologize for him. I don't need you to praise him. Just tell me about him. That's all I want. Just tell me about him. Gets over to this other tribe. Now, the other tribe Shaka Zulu goes to is warlike. And Shaka is treated very well in this tribe. And he's beginning to learn a lot of things. He's beginning to learn a lot of things militarily. And this other powerful warlike tribe... Once the line of succession opens up back in the Zulu tribe, decides to send Shaka over there as kind of a vassal. Yeah, you go be in charge of them over there, but you're still going to kind of work for us. I mean, we are the ones who taught you everything about war, after all. Now, there are a million little squabbles and coups, but Shaka does very much take over. And this is where things get different. This is where the man becomes one of history's stars when it comes to conquerors. He takes over, and this is a tribe of 2,500 people or so when he takes over. Should be noted, somebody killed his mentor. You remember he had this mentor when he went to the other warlike tribe? Somebody killed his mentor. So he took the mother of the guy who killed his mentor and locked her in a hut with a bunch of jackals so they could tear her apart. And in the morning, 
just in case she was still alive, he burnt the hut to the ground. We're not, look, again, this is no different than talking about Genghis Khan. The dude was a barbarian, an absolute barbarian. And he put in these absurd sounding reforms that I find to be ridiculous. However, the proof is also in the pudding, is it not? The Zulus under his reign went from a tiny tribe of 2,500 people to 250,000. But again, you don't. You don't make that omelet without breaking some eggs. How do you think you go from a tiny tribe of 2,500 to a kingdom of 250,000? Do you think that's done handing out Skittles and Sour Patch Kids? Or do you think you got to break some eggs doing that? Shaka Zulu broke a lot of eggs. Shaka Zulu put in some military reforms. And again, this history of this totally depends on which, quote, historian you're reading. I hate that you cannot get into history without everybody becoming a social justice warrior apologist. And here's what I mean by that. Things like a military formation. Formations are often, you know, lines You have your battle line, we have our battle line. Shaka Zulu takes over, and all of a sudden, Shaka Zulu comes up with, if you believe one person, or copies, if you believe another person, a new concept. And this concept is this. He will put his strongest warriors at the center of the line. He will then have flanking forces on each side of the line that will try to flank his opponent. And... He will have reserves behind his strong center who can run up and fill in any gaps that appear. There are people who will scream until they're blue in the face. He came up with this on his own. He didn't copy anybody. And they might be right. And then there are a million people who will scream till they're blue in the face. Um, that's exactly what the ancient Romans were doing like 2,000 years before this. They didn't come up with this. People have been doing this forever. Reserves and flanking and things like that. I don't know whether he copied it, and frankly, I don't care. The truth is, he did it, and he started beating the crap out of everybody. And there's another thing when it comes to warfare. If you believe this, and there are plenty of sources on this, pre-Shaka, warfare amongst the tribes wasn't that bloody and wasn't that dangerous. They had these oxhide shields. They had long, and I do mean long, six-foot spears. And warfare between tribes was treated as almost, gosh, almost sounds like a dance-off. I'm not even joking. They would, they would do various chants and yells, and obviously spears would be thrown back and forth, but... This is something that's glorified in the movies. You know, throwing a spear. Oh, look, he threw that spear. Oh, look at Achilles in that movie, Troy. He threw the spear from a thousand yards away and speared him in the head. Have you ever had and thrown a spear? Hang on.
the wife. <laughs> Do you remember how I told you the story of her stealing my Raycon earbuds? The woman didn't even use earbuds, uses mine one time, steals them, takes off with them. I had to go buy a new pair. Guess what? My son just stole them from her. <laughs> he borrowed them from her, used them, loves them. He has this little uh, podcast he loves, he listens to, used them, loves them. Now he won't give them back. And she came home, yelled at me about the whole thing, and I said, hey. Turnabout is fair play, but guess what? I'm just going to buy her a pair anyway because they're like half the cost of the other high-end earbuds, and I'm just going to buy one for everybody in the family now. I love them that much. Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's where I'm going. going to get me another 15% off the already great price. Throwing a spear. Again, it's look. it looks great in the movies. But if I were to stand 50 feet in front of you, which is not far, and hand you a spear, the likelihood you could actually hit me with it, probably not good. The likelihood you could deal me a fatal blow with it, even less. The likelihood you could do that while I held a shield in front of me. I mean, gosh, now are you starting to understand? Because of how they conducted themselves with warfare at the time, there just weren't, it just wasn't that bad. War wasn't that bad. It was more just a status symbol. I'm going off to war. I'll be home for dinner, but make sure you get that hamburger helper ready. I should be home by six. This is not bad. But there's always a time limit on, hey, let's just do this nicely, right? And why is there always a time limit? Because men crave power. That is the nature of man. Not unique to any country, continent, religion, skin color. The nature of all of us is man crave power. Shaka Zulu wanted some. Shaka Zulu figured out this whole dancing around throwing spears thing might be nice for a little a little quibble with another tribe, but I'm here to take over some stuff, and that's not going to work for me. So here's what we are going to do. Take that stupid six-foot spear. Oh, you can leave the pointing end on it, but you're going to go ahead and chop it down to three feet. You're not going to throw it anymore. You're going to run up to somebody. You're going to hook his shield to the left, and you're going to stab him in the heart with it. Oh, and when I say don't throw it, here's what I mean by don't throw it. If you drop your spear, you'll be executed. Like I said. Like I said, the man broke some eggs but you want to expand an empire from 2,500 to 250,000. That's how you have to do your business. And there are, there are endless stories because all this story of Shaka Zulu is oral. 
There are endless stories of him being kind. There are stories of him being horrifically cruel. Of him killing a pregnant woman who walked by, who didn't do anything to him, just so they could cut her open and see the position of the baby. I don't know if that story is true. It's out there. There are a lot of really ugly stories out there. But eventually, Shaka Zulu, having fought off a bunch of mini coups and things like that, gets assassinated by his own brothers. It happens. Shaka Zulu allowed Europeans into his kingdom during his reign. Now, why did he allow Europeans into his kingdom when he was adamant about this just being our thing? He got himself injured in battle one time. A European doctor offered to treat him, did treat him. Shaka got healed. Shaka decided the Europeans weren't all that bad invited them in. Turns out that did not end up working out for the Zulus once Shaka was dead and gone. And remember, there are people out there who say Shaka is insane, was insane. He had reforms. He had reforms that were crazy. Some of his reforms were you weren't allowed to marry a woman or, you know, do the deed with a woman until you were 35 because he wanted everybody to have military service, extensive military service before they settled down. He essentially turned his entire society into a military society. And that may sound nice at a time, but by any measure, that's insane. You, you, your body biologically is made to crank out kids early, 18, 19, 20, in your twenties somewhere, your testosterone levels, your your count numbers and everything down below, you're made to have kids at that age. Women are made to have children at that age. That's biologically how we're made. So not till 35 is insane. No wonder they were so warlike, though. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> Got to wait till you're 35. He had things like starving his own people because somebody died and he demanded that nobody plant crops or drink milk for a year. Remember when I said cattle were central to them? That's how they lived. So he may have been insane. But what he did do was take his people from a small tribal people to a major empire of 250,000. But my question to you is this. Was he great or was he not? for his people. And I'm asking that for this reason. And no, I don't don't write me. I know he owned slaves. They were big slavers. All these tribes were big slavers back in the day. This again, I don't judge people for that historically because that's the history of the world. We by the grace of God live in a post-slavery era. We are very much in the minority. So don't don't write me that, but again, Were his people better off in the end? He expanded, but they went from being a small pastoral society, raising some cattle, 
to being very powerful. You can, you know, put your will onto anybody. But you also let in the Europeans. You engineered the own de- the demise of your society. And the reason I ask this question, the reason I bring it up, is I personally am struggling with how to answer one of the Dr. Jesse questions I got today. Guy writes in, says, Dr. Jesse, I live in, the, in New York City. I've been heavily involved with conservative politics in New York City. I'm done with all this. I want to move to a small, quiet, rural town and enjoy the rest of my days. I very rarely struggle how to answer these questions. Sometimes, you know, as you know, I just goof off. Sometimes I'm very serious about it. I don't know what the right thing to tell this person is. Because honestly, I want him to stay. I want him to stay in New York City and fight the good fight and screw these leftists and let's do a big comeback and let's take everything they've ever loved and let's do it. But at the same time, man, that small town sounds nice right about now, doesn't it? Doesn't a quiet small town sound awfully nice? And how hypocritical do I sound telling him, stay in New York City, fight the good fight. I didn't stay in the big city. I mean, yeah, I'm in Houston talking to you now, but when the show's over, I'm going back to the burbs, man. Why am I going back to the burbs? Well, because it's safer. (laughs) That's where I want to raise my family. So how could I possibly, possibly tell someone else not to do it? And the reason I struggle with this is, aren't we all about to have to make that decision? Somehow? I'll explain. Hang on. going to have to make a hard choice here in the future at some point in time is that inevitable i consider that to be inevitable don't you chris as the leftists take over what i'm not trying to be doomsday on you on a friday but what have you seen the leftists take over that hasn't been violent and really ugly for the people who disagree with them At some point in time, you've got to call it a day. I don't blame anybody for calling it a day once they get up there in years. Now, I will tell you, 
especially when you're young and single, maybe no kids. I think you and I have obligations to be in the fight, to stay in the fight. And I still stay in as much as I can trying to scratch and claw back against these nutballs. But even now, I got a wife. I got kids. I got people I'm required to protect. Somebody asked me as one of the Ask Dr. Dr. Jesse questions today if I wanted to go to a peaceful protest with them in Portland. And it made me think of this. It did. Haven't you seen all the people with kids at these protests? Are these people out of their freaking minds? And I'm not only talking about people on the left. Let's talk about people on the right here for a moment. Because I see this all the time. It always spreads across the internet, some video. Some dude wants to go down to the Antifa protests in Chicago or something. And he wants to wave his Trump flag or American flag. And woohoo! And I got no issue with that. But he brings his six-year-old daughter along. And someone's always filming it. And then, of course, something bad happens to her. Either somebody screams a cuss word at her, someone throws something at her, hits her, something terrible, right? And that's terrible. Obviously, I would never defend something like that. But, bro, what are you thinking? And don't tell me this. I had no idea someone would do something thing, buddy. If you strap on your gear, you put on your pants, and you choose to drive down to an Antifa protest, you know there is a potential for violence. You know that for a fact. Don't tell me you don't. And I don't care that you're going down there. I'm I'm sure I support you. It's fine. Absolutely fine. But why are you bringing your kid along? Why in the world are you bringing your kid along? And that's to say nothing of the leftists. These people, they flat out bring their kids along as human shields. I saw some horrible, horrible, heartbreaking video today as some girl, some little black girl, had a big sign over her, one of those huge ones you wear around, you know, front and back. And this girl, I mean, she couldn't have been five, six years old. Wearing a big sign saying F the police. Only it obviously spelled out the F word. Dude. Even if you hate cops. Which, I mean, I I would argue you've got some real problems if you hate cops. But even if you hate cops. Who does that to their child? Who in the world does that to their child? So... In reference to the protests, I have no issue with people going down to these protests. I have no issue with people doing the protesting as long as you're not violent and vandalizing things. I have no problem with counter-protests at all. But I have a major, major problem with you people who bring your kids along. And I went, I got off, I went off on that tangent because I feel like that matters a lot. A lot for the discussion we're having about what obligations you have to fight this fight. And 
I mean, there's a great line in that movie, Patriot. You remember when he's saying, I have my wife is dead and he doesn't want to go to war. He's like, my wife is dead and I got five kids. I think it was. I got all these kids. Who's supposed to care about them when I'm gone to war? And the guy responds to him. And it is a true response. And it's a great response. He says, wars are not only fought by childless men. That's all true. At the same time, I actually need to do a story on these guys. At the same st- same time, there are endless units like the one I just brought up in my head that I didn't actually vocalize. There's this great World War II unit where they they like carved mohawks into their heads. They acted like American Indians. They were sweet, and they just wreaked havoc and murdered people, Germans all over the place. And they would not allow men with children into the unit. That is not uncommon in military history. Not at all. Not at all. So, I don't know the answer to your question. But I also know this. I know how it's going to go because here's the truth of the matter, and it's a saying as old as time. It doesn't, it's, it wasn't come, the saying didn't come from this discussion, but it's still 100% true. As soon as you start thinking about retirement, you're already retired. You are. Why? I'll explain in a second. to get home security you have to have sensors in your home cameras in your home it's not it can't be an option anymore make this happen simply safe is right there for you listen to me listen there are no contracts you're not going to have to deal with sales guys you're not going to have to deal with hidden fees you're not going to have to deal with fine print you're not going to get trapped into something horrible you go to simply safe you pick out what you want They mail it to you. I'll get to how you get it mailed to you for free in a second. They mail it to you. You open up the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and you're done. That's it. You now have home security that's monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week by a professional with emergency dispatch services. Go to simplysafe.com slash jesse. That gets you free shipping, too simplysafe.com slash jesse go there get your home secure why are you already retired when you think about retirement here's why Somebody once told me that if you love your job, you don't actually love the job itself. You love the grind of it. There's a grind of it you have to love. Like an NBA player, a professional basketball player. He doesn't love to play basketball. Everybody loves to play basketball. I mean, yeah, he loves it, but that's not what makes him great. He loves to practice. That's what he loves. The basketball is the reward, the basketball game. Like, 
what I do. Not exactly breaking bricks in the hot sun, and I'm certainly not changing the world out here. But here's, would you like to know how I prep for a show? I'll explain in a second. Kelly show. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.